Yeah, this morning, right, like, like this whole kingdom thing, the whole kingdom idea. Um, we sing this song, and I just think, man, what a story. Like, do you find your own story in that song? The declaration that you're free, that life can be different and changed. You, you know, I know you wake up like on a morning like this, and it's rainy, and it's cold, and you lost an hour of sleep that you will never get back till next fall. So you just got to put that in the bank. But this morning, I believe that God wants more for us. He wants us to discover the kingdom. You know, when Jesus was on the planet, um, he talked about this one thing more than anything else. Over and over. Like you read through every one of the Gospels, and you'll see he says it over and over and over. And when, why? Like, why does he keep returning to this one thing? Every time he talks about the good news, every time he talks about the reality that we live in, every time he talks about what does it mean to follow me, he has these words, the kingdom. The kingdom is like. The kingdom is like. This is the kingdom. Something deep within It's so important. And, and, and when he talked about the kingdom, like to the, to the religious leaders, to the, to the traditional religious people at the time, it was offensive all the time because it broke the rules. Like love broke rules and love moved into spaces that it wasn't allowed. And, and when, where the rules were supposed to be, I did the right thing. Jesus said, that's not good enough. There's more. There's more because it's about a relationship. There's got to be something on the inside that has to break and has to change and has to be different. And the politicians, they didn't know what to do with Jesus. He challenged their ways of answering the questions with a way that basically says every answer you give, everything that you say is inadequate compared to what I offer. And because of that, his view is radical and subversive. The gospel is explosive. And people were drawn to it. They experienced it. And they sought after it. Jesus has this one line we're going to look at today. He says, seek first the kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I, when I read that line, I sometimes I ask myself this question. Do I? Like, I wonder if I stand out the way Jesus did. You know, when people look at my life, are they able to see the kind of reality that Jesus painted in my life? Or does it look like I'm just a person on the planet living like this is all there is? Man, if I just added Jesus, right, to my life. Is that all I've done? I remember um, when I went to college. And I, my, in my growing up years, my high school years, I I knew about God, but I didn't really know God. And uh, when I got to college, I felt this deep longing, something that was missing in my life that I was desperate for. So I started reading the Bible. And uh, it's funny because, you know, I... You know what my greatest fear was? That people would see me as radical. Right? Like so I would I would read my Bible in secret when my roommate wasn't there. And when he was there, it would be hidden away in a little cubby hole so he couldn't see it. And I met this 
guys on my floor, and now I'm at Penn State, and uh, it's just people there didn't, I mean, I, I just hadn't experienced, you know, 30,000 college-age kids before, right? And so there, there's things that were important to them that I was like, I don't even know if this is important to me. In the words of my son, who was, uh, he's recently, he's talking about, we're talking about next college for him, and he had been gone to Shippensburg for a party last fall. When he's talking about college, he's like, Dad, I don't, I don't want to go to some place like that. He said, I saw what they seeked after. I was like, woo! Something's <laughs> happening to him. So, so there I am, and looking at this, and I see these guys, and they just, they're living differently. Like the things that were important to everybody else weren't important to them. And they seemed to have this sense of purpose and this confidence, and I was like, what's going on with them? So they invited me to this Bible study that they were having, led by a guy named Matt. And um, Matt was our Bible study leader, and I just, I remember watching his life and going like, hmm, I hope someday I can follow Jesus like him. Like, I, I wonder what my life would look like. I mean, he would, he would do stuff in our Bible study, like, like he'd come and he'd tell us to, put our, to get our coats on and our shoes on, and we'd be like, what? And be like, just come, follow me. You know, just take us out into the outback fields, a garden at Penn State, and like under the stars in the cold, and be like, we're just going to pray for an hour. And, and he'd, he'd give us some guidelines on how we we're going to do this. I remember, like, it was a powerful moment. It's the first time, like, I experienced God in such a powerful, present way. He made me go back, backwards over a cliff, repelling, right? This is the kind of guy that he was. But everything was still about something spirit-filled. Like that was about teaching us about risk, being risky with our faith, too. I remember him. I don't think I'd have found my way without someone radical like him in my life. And so I look at my life today and I go, hmm, I wonder sometimes if the greatest source of mediocrity is me not really putting Jesus first. Not really seeking the kingdom first, but letting other things distract my focus, you know? Like, not on purpose. It's not intentional. Just happens. So here's what I hope for you and me over the next six weeks. We'll begin to grasp and begin to just understand all that God has for us, to allow God's spirit to work in us in such a way that we can see the kingdom and live in the kingdom as if it was the only reality, the only thing that is really true in our lives. That's what I hope for us. That, that anything that you've lost in terms of the expectation of God to work in your life will be regained. That those places in your life that are mundane and something has been lost there will be redeemed and replaced. So today, here's where we're going to start. In a passage that you're all familiar with because we camped out here really over the last three months, over and over, Matthew 6. It's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is one of Jesus' most famous sermons, and it is so rich with so many things. So we're going to camp out there again. We're going to visit there again because this is where Jesus begins to really teach about the kingdom. Begin to help us understand what the kingdom is really all about. 
And that's what we're about this morning. So if you want to pull out your scoop, you can take notes. Um, your Bible, your Bible app, you can turn to Matthew 6. That's where we'll be most of the time today. I'm just going to open it up. We're going to look at this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And this prayer is like this, well, he teaches about prayer because his disciples ask, like, hey, how do we pray? But it's interesting because if you read the other context of what he's teaching about, it's not how do we pray in public. It's not the question that Jesus is answering. It's Jesus is answering this question. How do you approach God personally? What's it look like to get real personal with God? What's that approach have to say? That this prayer, and sometimes I think we get kind of deluded by it because um, if you grew up in the Protestant tradition, it's called the Lord's Prayer. I'm informed by Laura Kelly that if you grew up in the Catholic tradition, it's called Our Father, right? So whatever tradition you grew up in, you might be familiar with it because it was public, like something you did corporately, but maybe not something that you saw as super personal, like this conversation with God that's just about you and him and what God's, what you're asking of him personally. And so that's where we start today. Verse, verse 9, Matthew 6, Jesus says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, May your name be kept holy. May your, here it is, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, the the context of this is heart language. It's not, I hope that that happens someday. It's a personal expression of God. May your kingdom come into my life. Not may your kingdom come so I can benefit it from someone else. May your kingdom come so it's a little bit better for my life. It's may your kingdom come into my inner person. Now, if you're a first century hearer of this, you you hear it a little differently because you've lived in kingdom. You understand kingdom better than we do in our democracy because you know the history of Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, kingdom after kingdom conquering each other, not lasting, not forever, but one thing you know about a kingdom is that a kingdom has a... See, you guys do know. That's great. Kingdom has a king. A kingdom is a place where a king rules, where there is a sovereign authority, where you can't get away from that. And when they heard this, when they heard the speech about kingdom, they knew that there was talk of a king and a ruler, and they knew that there was something. And if you were a Jewish hearer, which is where most of us hearers were at, you knew that this was a promise thousands of years ago that a kingdom would be coming. That despite the oppression that you were suffering under Babylon, under Persia, under Greece, under Rome, that someday a kingdom would come and it would outlast and transcend every kingdom, every kingdom, including the one we live in now. And so you were looking forward to it. And you might have heard that more like this way, God I can't wait until your kingdom gets here. 
excited about your kingdom coming in the future. Maybe we're all a little guilty of that sometimes too. Like looking at the kingdom as if it's heaven. Like who doesn't look forward to heaven? Where there will be no more tears, your tears will be wiped. Where your sorrows and your, your heart will be healed. Where things work the way God designed them to work. No more people harming you in all of their decisions because it's all lined up. Who doesn't look forward to that? But this, this is not that prayer. That's not the prayer that Jesus prayed. When he said, may your kingdom come, we can tell because the next line, right? May your kingdom come soon. Remember, this is a personal prayer. May your kingdom come into my life soon. What's the next line? May your will be done on earth. Personal on earth as it is in heaven. May I, God, may I welcome your loving role into my life and take a knee to it. God, may, may your kingdom be present in my life. May every choice be aligned with your loving role. May I stop pursuing everything else that distracts me and is keeping me from all the good that you want to offer me. May it all line up in my life so I can experience your miracles, so I can experience your goodness, so that everything that you have for me is present. Because here's the problem. If, if your perception of the kingdom is something out there, if you're like that first century here that says, the kingdom is in the future, I can't wait for when it gets here, you exempt yourself from any personal responsibility to experience the kingdom. You cheat yourself of all that Jesus came to do right here, right now. Is that what Jesus meant? If we want to see what Jesus meant, let's, let's rewind the tape a little bit to see what Matthew says before Jesus prays this prayer, before Jesus begins to teach about the kingdom. Back to Matthew 4.17. When Jesus begins his ministry, he begins it with these words. Now, I don't find, I mean, let's read these words together and just see how much personal responsibility you find in here. Repent of your sins. Turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Boy, there's no getting out of that one, is there? It's not like you can say, well, that's something that God's going to do all of that. No, it's like Jesus is saying, you have a responsibility to look at your life to see what's distracting you and keeping you from all that God wants from you and his very best for you. And you have a responsibility to repent of those places that you've turned from God, those distractions that you had from God, and turn to him, right? Repent never means condemnation. Repent always means welcoming and forgiveness and change. It's like a loving father saying, well, you just turn to me. I have so much for you. Take a knee to my goodness and my love. Because he says, the kingdom of heaven is near. And the Greek here is the kingdom of God is at hand. It is within grasp. 
You understand this? Repent, for the kingdom of God is within your grasp. Repent, because the kingdom of God is right here. Turn to God. Don't turn to all this other stuff because the kingdom of God, it's right here. It's ready for you. It's not a gospel for heaven and for later. It's a gospel for now on the planet in the midst of everything that you're turmoil, everything that you face. It is for now. This is the gospel. This is what God wants. The kingdom is for now. It's not for later. It's not something you save up for and hope for. It's something you might look forward to in perfection, but it's something that God says, I want to do this in you right now. And so Jesus' prayer is more like saying, when he says, may the kingdom come, it's more like stop living as if the kingdom is out there and start living like the kingdom has arrived. And it's within your grasp and the spiritual realm is transcendent and real and the kingdom that transcends any kingdom that has ever been and ever will be is right now and we are invited to live in it and it is any place that God's will is being done. It is any place where a heart is surrendered to God and worship is given him. Anyone that takes a need of God can experience the kingdom. But that's a continual process for us, isn't it? And I love that Jesus modeled it for us. Jesus wasn't just this, like, teacher who said, hey, here's some cool things, right? Like, he's not like the TED Talk guy, right? Like, you're like, wow, that guy said some really cool things. I have no idea if he's living it. But he said some really cool things. He researched some really cool things. That was cool to listen to. I mean, Jesus, before Jesus, there's no servant leadership. It doesn't exist, I mean, you take it for granted, you condemn, you automatically, our whole culture does. When someone's a selfish leader, all about themselves, our whole culture condemns them. And they don't realize that before Jesus, it didn't exist. You know what, before Jesus, there was no nobleness and humility. Humility and humiliation, same, same. There was no nobility in it at all. Before Jesus... There's no love your enemies, forgive those who hurt you. It doesn't exist. Love is for your friends. Hate, revenge is for your enemies. That's just the way it is. Across religions, across culture, everything. See, the the kingdom is this messy place. This is where we live, right? The kingdom is this now place, this messy place where beauty of God, goodness of God, love of God collides with all of our brokenness. You experience that? When the beauty of God collides with your brokenness and you go, whoo, God, I had no idea. In that moment, you remember this moment where you maybe took a knee to Jesus for the first time and you realize belonging, purpose. God, I need it. And in all of my brokenness and all of my reaching out to you, there you are. You are good. And it's colliding together and it's messy. It's this place where the world begins to feel right because I'm living in the kingdom of God even when everything seems wrong around me. It's the place where people look at your life and they go, what is wrong with you? How can you go through that. How can you be that honest? How can you not do that thing? How can you, because you're part, taking part of the kingdom of God, 
It's that moment where you messed up on that relationship again. And instead of condemning yourself, you throw yourself at the beauty of God and the goodness of God, and he embraces you and says, listen, I'm not done here. I've got more to do. This is not the end. It's that moment where your past that is haunting you again, and you hear the, the voice of the Spirit saying, nope, that's forgiven. That is gone. Don't you dare condemn yourself over that because I won't. Because I have a future for you. You can live beyond it. It's that journey where that thing in your past, that your parents divorced, that loss of that person you love, that thing that you grew up in, and you just, there's so many wounds in you, and they begin for the first time, you feel healing, and it begins to get lifted from you because you know what it's like to participate in the kingdom of God. And not just this world by yourself. Do you believe it's possible? Do you believe it? Do you know it's real? Brokenness can be healed. Sins can be forgiven. You can experience something more deeply than you ever have. And the world needs it. The world needs you to experience it. And I think sometimes, um, sometimes we lose this because I think we begin to think that the kingdom is about becoming our best self. Like self-actualization, you know what I'm saying? Like if I just, if I just follow Jesus' teaching, I'll become a better version of me. I, I'm reading the how-to book. We, I mean, isn't this what we do? I mean, I'm not, I love to read books. Well, I mean, I don't really love to read, but I love to learn by reading books. I hate to read, but I love to learn from reading books. But isn't this what we do? We, we read, think about all the Christian how-to books that exist. And I'm not condemning them that they have no value. They do. But if we approach them apart from the kingdom of God and the spirit of God and the power of God, aren't we just doing our best self? Aren't we just living in our own self-actualization short of the kingdom of God, short of all that God wants for us? I mean, Jesus never said, follow my teaching challenge you go read the gospels show me where he said just follow my teaching here's what he said follow me it's not that he didn't have teaching it's that he said follow me he said repent right repent repent of things that are distracting you from the loving rule of god repent's another way of saying surrender yourself to me to my work in your life to all the good things that I want to do in your life. You can't, you can become the best self that you can be, but you'll never be the best self that God wants you to be unless you invite God into the process to transform you. You are powerless to become all that God has for you without God. And that's what Jesus' call is. He said, listen, live the opposite way. Live the way that doesn't make sense to anybody else. Go against your natural inclinations and with the help of the Spirit, choose my inclinations. This way Matthew records. So Matthew records this thing that Jesus says in 417 of like, repent, repent, return to God. The kingdom of God's in your grasp. And then just a few verses later in verse 23, he turns the corner and says, let me explain to you what the kingdom looks like. This is what he says. He says, Jesus traveled around throughout the region of Galilee, this is the kingdom, 
teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news of the kingdom. And, and, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. Another Matthew says, listen, just in case you thought it was just about good news, about what could come, no, 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 no. The kingdom is within your grasp. He healed every kind of disease. He healed every kind of illness. This was the kingdom. The kingdom was here. It was something to be experienced. Not just something to be taught about, but something to be experienced. Do you ever think maybe that sometimes as a church, sometimes as the church, sometimes as individuals, that we've lost the radicalness of what Christ wants for us because we respect him as the wise teacher. I, th- I feel like this is all the time. Like So much stuff right? I listen to, it's like so much respect for Jesus as the wise teacher. Help us live better lives. Listen, that is true, but that is not all. Because the Matthew who gives us the wise teacher also gives us Jesus, the miracle worker. Jesus, the powerful one. Jesus incarnate who heals the leper, who raises Lazarus from the dead, who casts out demons who stills the storm. Jesus is spooky. I mean, he's freaking you out. This is Jesus. Is he yours? Or is he just a wise teacher? Got some good things to say. I think sometimes we resist that. We we like his good teachings, but we resist the supernatural nature of the transcendent kingdom that says you are radical because the Holy Spirit is in you and you are seeking it and it is more important, more valuable, more real than anything else in your life. That's what the invitation is. And I think some of us have been in the church long enough, maybe you're like, no, I, I like Jesus the miracle work. I know Jesus' power. I got faith. And yet sometimes don't we become immune if you've been in church long enough to Jesus' sayings, like, don't you become immune to the Jesus who says, don't call your brother an idiot. Lust, lust is the same as adultery. Fight for your marriage. All your money, it doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. Don't return evil for evil. Forgive your enemies. Love your enemies become a little immune to all those teachings. You know why? Because we like Jesus a wise teacher, but we do not like the Jesus who is intrusive and invades our personal life and says, that can't stay. It's got to go. And we go, no, 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 no. Stay out of that place. But that is the kingdom. The kingdom teacher that says, I'm here and I'm going to intrude into your life and I'm going to call out what doesn't belong because I want to set you free. I want the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life, to have no change. Like nothing can keep you from this. I want to be first. I want to be first. I love when I see it. How it does for your soul when you see the kingdom. I remember, I remember, uh, doing some premarital counseling with a couple that was cohabitating. And uh, the guy had just come to Christ, and um, I, I talked to him about this. I said, listen, this is, we talked about how this wasn't God's best. 
And what Jesus said is really happening here. What, his, what Jesus said, this is, this is the way that I call out to you so that I can be first. And some couples, they're like, mm, first of all, why are you talking to me about my personal life? Not this couple. They were like, they like heard the words of the Spirit in their soul, right? Repent, turn to God. They were like, what do we need to do? We want to do this Jesus' way. He's got to be first in our life. And it's so, woo! It's loud. And I see the kingdom. When I think about, I think about the small group that prayed for their waitress. Kept going to the same restaurant. We love her. I think about the kingdom. I think about parents who came and they said, doctors can't heal our child. We believe God can. And you receive healing. We saw it. We experienced it. Whew. That's kingdom. You see the problem? If you think that the kingdom is in the future, that you deny yourself the ability and the chance to experience it now. To know all that God has for you right now in the presence. And so this is what Jesus says. Leaves us with this at the end of Matthew chapter 6. After all these other things, he says, like, I got it all. So stop worrying about it all. Pray for the kingdom to come. Stop worrying about all the things that could go wrong. Just do this. So this is just, just do this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above every other thing in your life. Seek the kingdom of God first. And in case you don't understand what that means, and live righteously. Point your life in the trajectory of Jesus and the way he lived. And he will give you everything else you need. This word seek means to aim. Remember we talked about this, trajectory. We talked about this in January, right? Like we all want happiness, but happiness is a trajectory. Jesus is a trajectory. The kingdom is a trajectory. And when Jesus says, seek it first, it doesn't mean condemn yourself because you messed up, condemn yourself because you didn't get it right. It means this is my only aim. And everything in my life I'm going to examine, and if it's keeping me off of that aim, it's got to go because my aim is Jesus. My aim is God's kingdom because he will give me everything else I need. My aim is God's loving rule in my life. It is what's most important, and I truly believe that God will take care of the rest if I make this my aim. All the things I worry about that aren't going to come together. If I aim for God and his loving rule, this is the promise of Jesus. The rest will take care of us because, see, you're going to transcend this kingdom. You're going to begin to live in his kingdom, and it's going to change everything. So let me ask you, what's your aim? What are you aiming for? Is your aim a little off? Mine is sometimes. I think sometimes I, can, I, I feel it in my prayer life. Maybe you've felt it in yours too where you're praying prayers like, so, God, I'm aiming for a successful career. Will you help me for that? God, I'm aiming for financial security. Will you help me with that? God, I'm aiming for that perfect mate. Will you, will you help me with that? God, I'm aiming for popularity, to be liked, to belong. Will you help me with that? 
God, I'm, we're aiming for that bigger house. Will you help us with that? God, I'm aiming for just proving that I'm really somebody. Will you help me with that? You get the picture, right? Sometimes our aim just gets a little off. Sometimes it's a little subtle because there's things that we need and we think that this kingdom can provide for us what only God's kingdom can give us. And the message of Christ is just this. Stop waiting on it. Start aiming at it. God's kingdom isn't something you're waiting for. It's something that you aim at. And you say nothing. This is God's call to us. I believe that during Lent particularly, it's God's call to us, don't let anything stand in your way. So what's got your attention right now? I mean, I don't mean like, what are you thinking about? I mean, what can't you stop thinking about? You know? What's, what can't you just stop thinking about just there all the time? What's keeping you from experiencing God's kingdom because it's tethering you to what's here and now? And if you're feeling right now like, man, I feel bad that I'm, my aim is up. Listen, I, can I just relieve you of the guilt so that we can get on with really knowing God? Do you know that even Jesus' parents, that the people who raised the Son of God had the same problem? Did you know that? They, they, they once, according to, to Luke 2.43, they once left Jesus in Jerusalem. They went for a feast. They left Jesus in Jerusalem. They, they got back on the road. <coughs> they left him there. And this is this one line. This is great. His parents didn't miss him at first. Parents, you ever have that happen? Like your kids, like, you know, didn't miss your kids at first. Isn't it true for our lives too, though? Sometimes our aim's a little off. We just don't miss Jesus at first. Something slipped in our life. We go to Sabbath, devotions, or time with God, that our prayers began to be focused on something else. And we didn't, we didn't miss it at first. But this morning you find yourself here and you're like, I want the kind of kingdom that God talks about. I want the kind of radicalness. I want the kind of power. I want the Holy Spirit to be actively at work in my life. And maybe it just comes down to your aim's just a little off. And it's time today to hear the invitation of Christ to say, repent, turn back to God. Turn your aim back towards God. It's been a little off. Seek God first, not second. That's the invitation of Lent. We're headed towards Easter, the pinnacle of our faith. What better time of the year than to say, you know what? I'm going to do something really radical, and I'm going to seek the kingdom first. So, what's distracting you from God's kingdom? What is it? What's in your life that's making you miss Jesus? What if you, what if you were to fast that? Like instead of fasting like, ooh, I have an idea, I'm going to fast chocolate. Or I'm going to fast whatever. What if you, instead of looking on Facebook and seeing what other trendy things other people are fasting, what if you got really radical? And you said, I'm going to look at my life and I'm going to say, God, what has my aim off? I'm going to work to ruthlessly eliminate what's keeping me from you. What if you fasted 
your efforts to be popular, where you fasted your desire to be overwork? What if you fasted your desire for control in your life? Or maybe you fasted all your financial worries, but you're always worried about what's going to work out and not work out. What if you fasted that sin that keeps coming back and you say, no more, drawn a line in the sand. Or that guilty pleasure that just, I just love watching that show, I just love doing that thing, but I'm not focused on God and it's not helping me focus on God. You've got your aim on God. Could you imagine? You got your aim on Jesus and you made room for him in your life. Build it. And you were changed. And people began to look at your life and go, whoo, something's happening there. If that was true. Can you bow your heads with me and pray? God, this morning, what we want most is your kingdom. So we pray this this morning. May your kingdom come into our lives. May your will be done. Right here, right now. God, we are done waiting for heaven. We want you to bring heaven to our hearts. God, this morning, may we pray. God, I'm done taking charge of my life. Sorry for that. Today I want to make a new commitment, a recommitment to take a knee to you, to experience the, the powerful Jesus be in charge of my life. You are so good. You are so amazing. I fully surrender to you. Will you fully transform my life? While your head's bowed and your eyes are closed, just in the spirit of prayer, right where you sit. When you ask God something this morning, just, will you ask him? We just, maybe you're like, I don't know if I hear from God, that's okay. We just, in faith, will you just say, I'm just going to trust that what I hear might be from God this morning and just ask him, God, what's throwing off my aim? What's throwing off my aim and I need to repent of it this morning? You just ask him for a moment. Just sit ask Jesus that. speak to us this morning in our hearts. Thank you. Lead us to a place of repentance. Even if we don't can't name it yet, God, lead us to a place of repentance. Say, God, you first, you first, you first. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'll leave you this, how are you going to seek the kingdom first? And um, sometimes 
to line up something that's happened in your head, you need to take a physical action so it can concrete into your heart. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you've invoked your will to say, I want God to be first, but you need to do something physically, move physically, do something that takes a little bit of radicalness to say I'm all in. God, I want you. I don't even know what it means, God, but I need you. And so this is my offer to you this morning. We invite you to take that action. To let something solidify in you and say, God, I'm going to be, I want to be radical. I want that. I don't know how it's going to happen. I certainly can't do it on my own, but come forward and to receive ashes. Ashes is just a sign of repentance. So then a tradition of repentance, of just saying, God, I, whatever it is, it's got my aim off. I receive that ash as a sign of, I'm sorry, I'm turning to you, putting you first. So it's really about lowering your resistance in your heart. Say, God, I want your leadership. I need it. I need your help. So if you're, that's where you are this morning, you got that cry for help, you want that radicalness, you're like, I'm tired of just living in the kingdom, I want more. I know that this might be a stretch for some of you, maybe you didn't grow up in this tradition, you're like, that seems a little weird. Good. Because Jesus was a little weird. Sometimes following him, you got to make decisions that feel a little weird. But don't do it because I told you to do it. Don't do it because somebody beside you did it. Do it because you want it with God. You want the Holy Spirit to do something in you because you want to make a commitment over the next 40 days to be different. That's why you do it. So from now to the end of the service and the worship, you come whenever you're ready. Make that your side. God, you first. You first. Maybe during that time you want to pull out your card and you want to write on, here's what I, pray for me, here's what I'm fasting. Maybe you have a prayer request. Don't just stop there. Make a commitment.